Welcome to Ask Dr. Julie Hanks, a safe place for healing conversations that educate and empower you to prioritize your dreams, revolutionize your family, and personalize your faith. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Hanks, a psychotherapist and coach offering online courses and programs to help women all over the world heal themselves and their relationships. Join me here every week as I coach a listener through a specific challenge and empower them with tools to find healing. Hello, hello, friends. I am so excited for tonight's Instagram Live. I am uh, going to be welcoming Sasha Pitten. I think that's how you say her name. I just know her. You know her as the Mormon hippie on Instagram. So, okay, Sasha. Hi. Hi, Sasha. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Okay. First of all, how do you say your last name? <laughs> it's Piton. Piton. Okay. Yeah. I said Piton. So I, I just That's totally. Everyone butchered. does. It's totally. Okay. In fact, I have people go, like, I don't even know your last name. I'm like, well, it's on my profile, but yeah. Yeah. It's French. Oh, nice. Love it. Well, thanks for joining me tonight. I am just excited to get to know you a little bit more. I know you from social media and that's it. So tell me your story. How did you, how did you get to be the Mormon hippie on Instagram? Um, can I tell you that I've actually been in your house a couple of times. I served my, <laughs> I served my mission in your area and your husband was the ward mission leader. Oh my gosh. When, Wait, how long ago? Um, it was in 2011 and I was in Sandy in 2012. Oh my gosh. Isn't awesome. that so funny? <laughs> yeah. Maybe so I actually, why I've always liked you and thought you yeah. looked familiar. So. <laughs> well, it was actually kind of cool because I remember back then thinking like, Ooh, cause and I mean this in the best way, but serving in my mission in Salt Lake City, like I got to know a lot of the, I would say stereotypical families where like the wife was at home with the kids and the husband was like the breadwinner. But when I sat at your house, like you're a singer, like you have so many different talents and so many gifts and you're a therapist. And I remember being like, hmm, okay, so this is a little, I like this. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. That's awesome. So you served your mission in Sandy, but yeah. back up before that. Yeah. So did you grow I, up in the church? What's your story? No, okay. no. So I grew up in Sedona, Arizona, and I did not grow up in the church. My parents were both like Catholic that they were raised, but like had long since left the religion, even before they got married. So we didn't really grow up with religion. We grew up with, like, we were CEO Catholics, like Christmas and Easter only. It was kind of like, Hey, we're going to take you. My mom was like, my parents were divorced when I was young, but my mom was like, I'm going to take you to what I grew up and you can either choose to keep this or don't whatever. This is what I have. And so um, we kind of grew up with the idea that like one day we could pick whatever we wanted. Mm -hmm. And my best friends in high school were Jewish and Buddhist. And so I had different exposure to different religions, like celebrating holidays with them or going to the temple, like doing meditations and prayers, like just trying to, and not, not extensively, just, a, just enough. Um, and then I went to college. I was actually very anti-Christian. I had a gay uncle growing up and I had people that I grew up with, like, tell me that they're, he passed away when I was 10. Tell me like, oh yeah, he's in hell. And I remember being like, what? And, and so I started developing anti-Christian feelings from the time I was 10 to be like, I don't even know who Jesus is, but I don't really, I'm not, I'm not into it, whatever yeah. this is. And yeah, so in college, I was like super kind of anti-Christian. I was the person that would go around to like, there'd be people in the U of A mall, like handing out Bibles and I would go and take them to throw them away. And then I'd make another loop and grab them and throw them away. It was like, I was trying to keep people from from that. Um, yeah. And so then I ended up meeting someone that was LDS. I'd never heard the term before. I didn't know what Mormon was. So I didn't know that Mormons were Christian. So we started to become friends. 
And then I found out that she was Christian and I was like, neat. Um, and it, it, it was hard because I, we had already developed a friendship, but I was like so surprised by the fact that she didn't try to change me. She wasn't trying to like ask me to be different. Like I, it was just a different experience. And then I was like, Oh, cute. She's never had alcohol. She's never done. Like, I was just like, so flabbergasted by what this is. And so I finally kind of asked a thousand questions, not out of like, Oh, I'm investigating, but out of like, what the hell is this? Why have I never heard of this? And so, yeah, then I joined the church, went on a mission two years later, um, worked at the MTC afterwards, moved back to Salt Lake, of course. And then I, yeah, I moved to Idaho for my job. And, and I think leaving, leaving Utah, I know Idaho, they say is like the mini Utah, but leaving Utah and being an adult, like I was in a career, I was, I moved for my job. I started to see a world outside of like this, this bubble. And I started to notice like, wow, there are so many different cultural things that I myself fell into within the church and leaving Utah helped me see that like, wait a minute, this isn't who I am. Why am I doing these things? Why am I trying so hard? So I created the Mormon hippie and I was like, I'm just going to share things that like are important, but I think are about releasing shame from your spiritual practice and understanding there's so many different truths all over the world and how our number one priority should be to go to God and seek validation there and not like humans, not our leaders, not our bishops, not each other, but mm. just go there. And so I, yeah, I just started sharing things on the internet, on the interwide web, on the interwebs. That is yeah. awesome. And what did, what did you um, study in college and what's your career? I was a theater and an opera major. So I sing opera and oh, uh, yeah. And I, and I started dramaturgy, which is like, and I also did acting. So that was my major, but then I ended up getting involved in business. So I was a territory sales director in corporate America. That's kind of was my job, but I quit my job. And now I'm just a full-time entrepreneur. I work from home. I work on like Instagram, but I also run like women's retreats to help women find their purpose and to connect more fully to God and to love themselves. Like I run retreats like that. And then I have just different, like I have a shop with like, you can sit with me bracelets. I'm just kind of doing all things online right now. Yeah. Very cool. And you are in Idaho still? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. So you kind of alluded to this, but like, we're going to talk about personal authority and how general authority and personal authority fit together, or if they do, and, and kind of what your, what your philosophy is. So how did you get to the point where you claimed your personal authority? Because girl... On Instagram, you have personal authority. <laughs> Can I just say, I'm like, yes. way to go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think it came down to, and I, I will say, I think I'm at an advantage versus members that grew up in the church because I have a life before the gospel and I have examples of people. My family is not, are not members. Yeah. And I think what I started to notice is like, there was like kind of a, a consistent teaching of like, you have to live this way. This is the only way to happiness. This is the only way to this. And I, I definitely tried to do that. I was like, yeah, like I'm in it. Like, let me do this. Let me, I want this happiness. But then I just started to realize like, my family is happy. Like my friends that are still Jewish and still Buddhist. And now I've met people cause I've traveled like are Hindu and Muslim. They're happy. So like, wait a minute, what's for one second, what, what am I actually thinking? What do I actually feel? And so I feel like when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the reason I joined the church still stands true in my heart of what I believe. I believe in the Book of Mormon. I believe God would have modern day prophets. I believe that our prophets are human, that they're not God, right? But that they stand as the head of the organization. I believe that. 
I joined that. But ultimately, when it comes to the doctrine of Jesus Christ, he is full of compassion, grace, mercy. He doesn't have an ego. And he sat with those that were different than him. He sat with those that were the sinners. And I just realized, okay, this is a little bit different. And so I started to like, let go of like, what people are teaching me is maybe not true. Like, I think there's real and there's true. And I think for a lot of people, it's real for them. They're teaching what's real, but it doesn't sit true with me. And that gap is where I start to think about what do I feel? What is my truth? How do I connect with God? And also, how do I feel that someone's sharing a lesson that like, if you break the law of chastity, you have zero chance of happiness. And I mean, I sat there in this lesson, listening to this in Relief Society in the singles ward about like, if you break the law of chastity, like it's just more difficult. Your life is harder. You're not happy. It's more easy for other sin. And I kind of just raised my hand and I was like, honestly, I, I get the idea, the principle here. I just disagree with that. My sister and I live different lifestyles. I've chosen this chaste lifestyle and she has chosen not that. And she's actually really happy. She's got a man that she loves. She's got kids. Like, But I think it's, it's something that we are going to choose to do. And how we choose to live that happiness is up to us. But it's not up to us to label that other people must be miserable. And so for me, it just comes to like, what do I believe is true? And how do I like, when it comes to general authority, like that's the gospel. There's an organization there that is necessary because we're 15 million strong, but I don't necessarily need to listen to everything that comes from the general authority because I have a connection to God. I have just as much access to God as they do. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the unique things about our faith is that revelation can come on every level. It can come personally, locally, regionally. And I kind of see personal authority is, it's our job to recognize revelation at every level. Yeah. And that but ultimately it's that, right? Like we have to recognize it. Yes. I had somebody message me just yesterday saying, how do you, how do you trust yourself? Like, I feel like I'm struggling to know what's revelation. Cause sometimes I've acted on things that actually weren't great. And now I'm questioning, was that revelation? And I just said, I, I'm no longer looking externally for things that guide my life. For so many, especially coming from a position where I didn't believe in God or Christ, to then be in a position where like, okay, I look to God and Christ for everything. It's a very external teaching. And I don't think it's intended to be external in its practice, but that's just how we teach it. And so I started to recognize like everything I was looking for was external. Like, and people ask me all the time because I had tattoos before I joined the church. And so like, well, what do you think about that? Like, I mean, I think that they're fine. Why are you asking me? I didn't even understand, but they're like, but the prophets have said, and I'm like, well, that's them. And I'm me, and I'm not going to change my body or does like, you know what I'm saying? It was just different. So I feel like I started to realize that when it comes to revelation, it's an internal process. Like when I look for God, I look in myself and I trust my gut. And I also think part of this process of earth life is to gain experience and make mistakes. I don't think God is up there like, because like that girl, I was like, you might've had revelation and you might've been meant to take it to maybe make a mistake. And now you learn, or sometimes we're human and we have human desires and we pretend like it's revelation. And it's really easy to like hide behind God and act like, oh, I have to do this because the Lord prompted me. No, he didn't. You want to do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's okay to discern that this is my desire. And then there are other times where I think it's a little bit more heavy, where I have specific things. And I'm like, oh, I can tell I'm getting prompted to do this. Yeah. 
But yeah. I think for me, I no longer look externally for how to guide my life. But I, when I look to God, I look in myself. I trust my gut and I trust that my gut is connected to God. You're speaking my language. <laughs> I, this is totally what I believe. Like that yeah. I, I came to the conclusion that my desires are good and I can trust what I want. And that, mm-hmm. that is God. That is the spirit. That is good. That I am good. And I think the belief, when you believe that you're internally like good, then you can trust yourself. You can trust yeah. those thoughts and feelings. So I, I am so, I'm so with you on that. And I, I also it. think we believe in the atonement, right? The atonement is supposed to forgive us of our weaknesses and empower us and strengthen us. And I'm just like, why are we so concerned about being perfect? And we have to live by revelation, which I do agree with. But also make mistakes, like be a human being, gain the experience, because that is literally why Christ came was so that we could do that. So there are choices. Like I think back to like relationships that I had that were more toxic, that brought out bad behaviors in me. Right. I can easily look at that and regret it. Or I can look at that and go, oh, not only. okay, that's how I interacted with that person. That's not the best parts of me. But luckily, I now understand what those behaviors between me and another person can do. So I'm going to release and and heal from some codependent behaviors. I'm going to use the atonement of Christ in my life to help me be better. But I don't need to look back on that and be like, oh, that's so stupid. Like, why did I do that? That person's dumb. I hate them. Like, it's just, it's part of life. It's part of experience. And I can, I look back on that relationship specifically. And I, how many times I had revelation to be this person's friend, to forgive 70 times seven. And I just look at that and I'm like, that was my human self trying to cope. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, like I have the atonement and I can be better and I can choose different. And I can recognize that like, even though my, cause my instinct at first was to be mad at God, to be like, well, I had this revelation. Like, why was that happening? Like, but then I realized, oh, it's cause I'm human and I was doing my best to cope. And my coping mechanism was like, I think I'm supposed to be like Jesus. Right. And good for me, good for me for wanting to choose goodness, but also good for me for later on recognizing some behaviors that I could do better in and using the atonement in my life to actually be better. Mm. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I think in the church, we, we think the goal is perfection Mm. when the goal is eternal growth. (laughs) So as long as you're growing those painful experiences, like that toxic friendship, it's like you grew, you, you Mm. learned to go to Jesus. That's like, that's good, right? Like that's, that's why we're here is to learn and to grow and to find Christ. I love it. And I also think to be authentic in that journey, I think being whole and seeking wholeness is really important. And I don't think it involves perfection, but I do think it be is like trying to figure out what's authentic to us and what's authentic to you, Dr. Hanks, is going to be a little bit different to, to me. And we can still be in the same faith. We can still have the same belief in Christ, but how we practice it and what we do, I think it's okay that it's different because you're living an authentic life to you, which I think personally, Christ is like, get it, you know, and I'm living authentic to me, which I think Christ is like, get it. That's why I came. Like, be yourselves. Like, I got you. I got all your weaknesses. I got got all your strengths, but you be you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how do you handle the people in the church who are scared of you or who think you're trying to lead people astray? I'm sure you get the same DMs that I get. Yeah. Um, How do you, how do you handle that? Um, and truth be told, it's evolved over time. I think at first I felt like I kind of had to guide them and see if I could help them and be like, 
and be that bridge. But then I realized that like, they got a Jesus, you know, and, and I realized that was taking a toll on me because I'm not a therapist and I'm not their therapist. And so at first it came with like, I understand where you're coming from. I'm actually not bought. Like I would really engage with those that were negative toward me because, and I did, I have a few of them be like, wow, like that totally changes my perspective just because I was kind. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I felt like that was giving me evidence that I needed to keep doing that. But then I just kind of realized like, you know what, like I've almost, I've earned my stripes. Like I've, I've gone through things and I've been through therapy and I do energy work and I still do check-ins and I do personal growth every single day because it's important to me. And I realized I can't, constantly be putting myself in and helping people when it's a, it's not my job and B like, that's why I go to therapies. Cause then I have to like get rid of all the energy that I've absorbed. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, so, so yeah. now when I get those DMS, I, I honestly, here's the truth. I don't get them as frequently anymore because I've really energetically and in my heart of hearts turned myself off to that. So when I post something and I share something or I do a reel, I'm just, I'm like, you know what? I'm putting the goodness out there. This is coming from love in my heart. I never post from a negative place. I try to post from when I'm and genuinely in a place of like a frequency of gratitude and love. Yeah. And it will resonate with those that it resonates and those that want to leave, they will leave. And I just, I send them blessings and I hope that they leave quietly. And it is a, as weird as that sounds doing that behind the scenes, massive difference. Like yeah. every time I post a reel, I lose hundreds of followers and I might get one or two DMs. Whereas before I would post something and I would lose a few hundred followers, but I would get 80 DMs. And then I was trying to like coach them through it. And now I'm just like, it's not my job. God, I'm handing them to you. This aligns with me. I love you. I'm putting this out there in love and how people interpret it is their responsibility. But I trust that you've got resources for them as well as me. Yeah. And so now I, if I get a negative DM, I either block them or delete it. And I just don't. I don't let it bother me because I mean, I try my best. I'm so human. I mean, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird mix of where you like still have to check in. Um, yeah. But I just try to like, honestly recognize like they're doing the best. I really, I say when I get something negative, I'm like, Ooh, they're doing the best that they can. And I just, I recognize it's not about me. And then I delete it and block it. Love it. Love it. Okay. We have some really good questions that came in day today that people wanted to ask you. And some of these are really good. Okay, how, oh, let's do this. What space do you give the general authorities in your life? That's a really good question. Um, I give them a human space. I let them be human. I believe that my sustaining vote at General Conference is about praying for their safety, their health, and for them to do the best that they can. But it doesn't mean that their best and my best are going to agree all the time. So I give them a human space in my world, in in my space, because that, that makes it so that if they say something that bothers me, I don't internalize it and attach it to God before church and God were like this. That's what I realized was happening that I was like, I never was like that before. And so now I say church and God. And so when people in the church make choices, that's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't change my relationship with God, but I, I send them blessings and I go, Oh, I disagree with that. Yeah. Or, or, Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Like, yes, you're a leader. And I, I believe that you're connected to Christ and you're doing the best you can in sharing. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, what's the need for general authority if I feel like my personal authority is enough? I think it's a matter of understanding that there is an organization and an institution that we belong in. And the beauty of that is that like, we are, we are so privileged in this country to have all the resources that we have and to have all of, all of the communication and the technology and all of that. But there are people that are believers of Christ and believers in the restored gospel that live so far and so distant from where we are. So what's nice about that is that 
a policy can change or a new revelation could come out and somebody in Salt Lake can say it and somebody at the very tip of South America can get it. Somebody in Zambia, Africa can get it and somebody in Hong Kong can get it. Like that is absolutely amazing and so necessary when it comes to a group that's 15 million strong that I just think it's important when we have so many people that they're, they're stewards over. They're not, they're not my conscience, but I do believe that they're the steward of 15 million people. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Okay. There's so many good ones. Let's see what to do when personal revelation interferes with temple recommend questions. Are you still worthy to go? For example, garments or coffee. Um, I think that's up to the individual person to decide because the temple recommend questions. I know we have a system in place where our leader is the one that asks those questions, but those questions are for us. They're for us. We have to have a checks and balance system in place when it comes to doing things like the temple. And I think that's important. Ideally, it's so that those that are not ready don't go through. I wish that even temple marriage wasn't as pushed in our culture as it is, because I think there's a lot of my friends that have gotten married that are honestly, they just want to be married and be together and have sex and, and enjoy married life. But they have zero desire to like live some of the higher laws that are required to go to the temple, but they're kind of pressured into it. So Ideally, I think those checks and balances are in place to make sure we don't go through when we're really not ready. But I think the only person that can answer that is, is that individual because it's your, it's your questions because it's between you and God. So that is for you to pray about and go to God versus like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but versus asking a stranger on the internet, what I think you should do in your temple recommend interview. It's none of my business. I think that you can confidently answer some of those questions when you go to God to see how God feels about your decision to drink coffee or God feels about your decision to not wear garments. Like I I really believe that they can answer you and I believe that they can answer you and you are okay and that you can make choices for you, but I can't answer that for you. Someone's asking, so do we say yes when it's actually no? I don't believe in lying and standing in my integrity. So again, I, I, it's for me between me and God. And I will say the question strange to strive. Like, I think that's important though. A lot of the questions are, do you strive to do something? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because that question is actually looking outside of themselves for, for authority, right? Asking you, so should I do this? And you're like, I'm not going to answer that because that's your, that's your thing. I love, and I totally agree with what you're saying about the questions are for you even though someone else is asking you there for you to judge yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And they're yet. What I love about it is also they're yes or no questions. And so when it comes to details and things that are going on and backstories, like you need to go to God with those questions. Everyone has access to Google, go to the church's website, put temple recommend questions. You don't need to wait for an authority to read you those questions. Go through those questions with yourself and go to God and say, this is happening in my life. How do I feel answering yes or no to this question? Is this, am I okay to say yes when I feel these things? Like, am I okay to enter the temple? Because that's ultimately what these are about, right? Is like, do you feel worthy to go into the temple? And that is between you and God. So I, I think it's important to take those questions to God. And I think a better word than worthy is prepared, right? Are you prepared to take the next steps? Amen. And it's okay Thank if you. you're not. It's okay if yeah. you're not. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. I love that. We kind of vilify like, oh, well, they can't go to the temple. It's like, what if they're just not ready? That's fine. Or they don't want to. Right. (laughs) You know, like I have a friend of mine. She's my age, but she's not endowed, but she's not married. And 
her bishop's like, you need to get endowed. And she's like, I don't want to, I don't want to wear garments. I don't want to, there's nothing, there's no other reason. I, I live everything. I just don't want to, and I'm not ready. And I know that I won't wear them. So why would I put myself through that to then have this internal battle when it's not something that I'm interested in? And I understand that that's part of it. So I'm not, not gonna. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, what do you do when you question the church and feel guilty for doing it? I'm stuck and feel like there is a wall. What would you say? I would say heal that guilt. Guilt is not a godly emotion, which means that guilt is somehow probably, if you look at where the source of that guilt is, it's probably external from someone else. And so heal that, go to therapy, find something that helps you to process that because there very well might be a wall. And it might be, I mean, we all have upbringing. We all have things that are said to us. I was just saying like, I didn't grow up in the church and then I joined the church and then I all of a sudden changed who I was. I was like hustling and doing all these culture things and God and the church were the same to me. And I was like, wait a minute, when did I, when did I make this switch? Like it's always been separate. You know what I mean? Like, so I think my advice is to heal that. Great. Let's grab a couple more. How can I feel and believe that I am my own authority? Whenever I've been through really hard experiences, especially the last few years, I feel like in going into those places of myself with like with therapy, with these resources that I've had access to. I think sometimes I used to get scared of going to those places and like dealing with my trauma or dealing with th- things that hurt me. Cause I thought I would get lost in those things. Um, but what I've realized is that when I went to those areas, that is where I found God inside of me, even in the darkest areas, because it was like Christ used to exemplify like kind of perfection and like, yeah, yeah, yeah he's there for me. But then to go into the parts of me that are the weakest and the most hurt and the most traumatized and sit there and try to offer love and compassion, I realized the person also sitting next to that version of me was Christ. So I feel like if you're struggling, trusting yourself and struggling, it's a matter of like trusting that God's got you. I don't know how else to say that, except go into those areas of yourself and find God. Mm, I love that. I love that. Okay, I'm looking at some questions here. Um, okay. Looks like there's just send people sending lots of love. Okay. This is a question I get all the time. I'm going to ask you, do you fear that these progressive views could lead to church discipline? No, I mean, that, that people, people ask me that all the time too. And I, and I kind of laugh because I'm like, there are white supremacists in our church, active members that are absolutely like racist, sexist, believe that people should atone with their blood, like in this life and making choices to physically harm other beings. And I'm over here like, I feel like the church has got bigger fish to fry than the Mormon hippie who's over here like, go to God, like make a relationship with God, be spiritual in your own way. Like go to God. Like I'm a member of this church, but it's all about how we progress. You know, it's not about perfection. I feel like the church is bigger fish to fry than the Mormon hippie. Like maybe like world hunger is kind of a big one. Cause remember we're a global church. Maybe like those that are dying in genocide, like in Armenia, that was just happening a few years. I mean, not even years, like recently, you know what I mean? Like there's some major things happening globally that I think the church leaders would be praying about and actively seeking understanding and how they can help versus like the Mormon hippie who's got this tiny little corner on the internet. That's like, go to God guys, go to God. Yeah. So no, I I don't care at all. That's great. I don't either. But then my my bishop's my husband, so. 
that's awesome. I will say my bishop and I are close. Like, and he's a really good guy and he's a little bit more, I wouldn't, I'll say progressive. Sure. Sure. Um, but I, the thing I don't know if everyone understands, cause I didn't know that until more recently in the last few years that any disciplinary action is handled locally. So even when somebody's excommunicated, like the 12 don't like sign off on it. Like president Nelson isn't like, ah, oh, yes, this person's going to get excommunicated. Let me sign off on this. It's handled locally. And I personally have a really good relationship with my local leaders. I don't even know my state president. Couldn't tell you his name because we don't ever meet. And I'm in a family stake and I'm a single person. So there's really like no place for me in terms of the organization. But my bishop is a great human and he and I interact often. And I have the women that I minister to that they and relationships of those that minister to me that I have. And so I feel I really I just don't fear that. I don't. Yeah, but yeah. I know not everyone has that luxury. But I again, right. kind of like how I said, I have energetic boundaries of what I allow. I also don't allow this fear of other people's perception into my space either, because I I could be worried about that all day long, and I don't got time for that. Right, right. Got other things to do. Yeah. Um, okay. This here's one that just came up. How do I how do I go about navigating my parents disagreeing with the way I live the gospel? Oh, I think. Trying not to change their mind about it is a really good place to start because I, I lived that in the opposite. My parents absolutely did not agree when I joined the church. It strained my relationship with my family because I was a member of this church. And so I had to live it a little bit sooner than most of you that are in this way. But I just had to come to a place where I wasn't trying to change their mind about what this is and, and make them think the way that I do. And once we got that space as someone who's now a member of the church and they weren't our relationship blossomed because they, they trusted that I wasn't trying to change them, that I wasn't going to try to preach to them. Right. And so I think for those of you that are maybe more nuanced in your beliefs or a little bit more progressive and your parents are more traditional, I'm going to tell you the same thing. Like you're not going to necessarily bring them with you in this journey, but if you can communicate, like all I need from you is love. I just need love. Can, Can you just love me? And I think that I'm not going to try to change your beliefs. I don't, I don't I need to change. You don't need to think differently, but I just want the freedom to be me. That's a very different conversation than, well, this is why I'm doing it. Like, how come you're doing this? You should be doing it this way. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what my family and I were doing for a few years. Yeah. And then yeah. we both chose to let that go because we're like, we're going to lose each other if we keep butting heads. Instead, can we just love each other? And now we're like this. That's great. That's great. I want to add just a couple thoughts to that. Part of being a grown-up is tolerating other people's disapproval, disagreement, discouragement, whatever, like they feel about you. Like it's fine. Like you do, you live the way you live, let them live, and they can disagree. And it's like, why is that a big deal? If you're a grown-up, why is it a big deal if your parents disagree? It's like it's okay. Yeah. That's why we move out, right? Like it's like when people are like living with their parents, I'm like, you're meant to because you're both full grown humans now. It's yeah. and you're going to be different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I love it. Okay. How do I explain this idea of personal authority to someone? Like a short sentence example. Like what is personal authority? I believe the prophets guide our church, but the prophet is not my conscience. And so I go to God for everything that I choose to do with myself and my body. I guess that's my nice. short, sweet. That's great. Um, okay, let's see what what else here. Okay, how do I trust my personal authority when I have anxiety and intrusive thoughts? Mm. 
Um, I think being mindful of that is the first step. I don't quite have anxiety in, in that intense way, but I have, do, I do a lot of self-talk. I do a lot of self-talk in the, I realized how powerful my words were. And so I started self-talking like 15 years ago to myself. And it started in high school when I couldn't receive a compliment. I was like physically incapable of receiving a compliment. And so just talking myself through some of these things. And, and even now, like if I have an intrusive thought of like, come on, you should have known better. How did you not get that? I'm like, okay, you know what? I feel like if Jesus sat down next to me right now, he'd probably be like, you're human. It's okay. You couldn't have known to do that. You've never done it before. It's brand new to you. And I'm like, okay. Like I literally have conversations in my head like that. Like, okay, if Jesus Mm -hmm. sat down next to me, how would he say, how do you respond to that? Probably Mm -hmm. not that way. That's a, that's a very human, harsh way to respond. And I'm talking about myself critical, but like that I self-talk is the way that I manage that. But also I, again, I cannot plug therapy enough. I know, I know you're a therapist and that's not intentional, (laughs) but therapy changed my life. It did it because I was so in caught in this space. And I think that toxic friendship, there was just so many things, but I think I was also in a toxic relationship with God. I was in a codependent relationship with God where like, I felt like I couldn't ever do things and I better earn God's love and acceptance. And I think when I just started going to therapy to help my brain take away this like looming cloud of consequences. That's what we used to call it. Like what if this looming cloud of consequences that you fear, whether it's in this relationship or with God, what if that wasn't real? And it took me a while before I could be like, I don't know if that's not, you know, and I just slowly like let that cloud of consequences, the dark one go away. Cause it's not real. Because again, I just think of my niece and nephew when they were learning to walk and they're falling, I'd be like, it's okay. Like, you know, I'd, I'd help them. And I can't imagine God being, especially since we believe that there are divine parents being like, get up, do it better. Like, can't imagine it. Yeah. You're just, you're speaking (laughs) truth here. Um, I want to add a therapist perspective on that. So intrusive thoughts could be uh, anxiety or OCD, like an actual diagnosis. And so get therapy, like Sasha is saying, and then One thing that I help clients do in therapy is sort symptoms from self. Mm -hmm. So an intrusive thought is a symptom. It feels like you because it's happening. You know, the symptom is it feels like it's a thought or a feeling, but it's not you. So what's symptom and what's yourself and kind of try to distinguish what that is. So that's just a, a quick tip, quick therapy tip. Um, okay, let's see. Can I just put up one of the comments? I can't scroll to it. Well, let me scroll, but it was kind of saying like, when you do Mormonism your way, that's what I was going to. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, one of the things I was going to point out was I know we as adults kind of have a stereotypical idea of what a Mormon is, but there are Mormons that are two years old. There are Mormons that are eight years old. There are Mormons that are 15. There are Mormons that are 95. There are people that join the church all in those age ranges as well. And so to say I'm doing Mormonism my way, I would say, who who is saying what the standard of being a Mormon is? Are you saying it's temple-worthy, attending, uh, big calling in the church? Because that's not everyone. Somebody who joins the church when they're 95 is going to have a totally different life, and they may have just found the gospel and resonated with it and jumped in because they believe that this is the restored gospel, but they still pay tithing to their old church because they love it, and they still, like, whatever. And so I feel like for me, am I living Mormonism my way? Sure. But I'm also living it because we're all doing things different. Like how, how an eight-year-old acts like an eight-year-old is not necessarily like, you know, going to the temple and wearing garments, you know what I'm saying? So 
Is it because they're not wearing garments? We're not saying they're not a real Mormon. No, we would never, right? Like we would never. Same thing with an 80 year old convert who joined the, who joined the church three months ago. Like, oh, she's not wearing, she's not wearing garments. She's not going to the temple. She's not a real Mormon. She's just doing it her way. No, we just understand that everyone is progressing at the rate that's best for them. And so I choose to practice my spiritual practice at the rate that's best for me. I believe in the restored church. I found Christ because of the restored gospel. I just don't subscribe to all the other noise that keeps me from connecting to myself and to God. I just don't. I just push all the noise aside. If that means living Mormonism my way because I get tattoos and I sure, but I got tattoos before I was Mormon and nobody had a problem with it. And so now that I am Mormon, does that mean I can't be this version of me anymore? Because that version of me chose Christ. That version of me joined the church. I'm proud of Mm. that version me. Mm. And I'm not going to try to change her essence because it doesn't fit the stereotype. And what maybe somebody else would say is a full Mormon. I don't care. (laughs) That's such a great answer. They also say doing Mormonism your own way without following leaders. And I think what Sasha and I are talking about is heeding the counsel of leaders, taking it into consideration. So it's not not following leaders, but it's just having personal authority inform the general authority. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I would also say that when I look at my leaders, like I look at how they testify of Christ, because my understanding, even as someone that taught and preached the gospel as a missionary, like a prophet is someone that is the mouthpiece of God that testifies of Christ, that guides the way for us to understand how we can worship Christ, period. Everything else outside of that is policy. It changes. It evolves, right? That's why we have an evolution in women in the church, an evolution in black men and women in the church and black families being able to be sealed in the church, right? Like, and policies of children of gays being baptized and then not like it all evolves, right? Because human beings evolve and change. And so I feel like that is something to take into consideration that all of that is okay that that evolves, but I do look to my leaders to see how they worship Christ because that is what I look to them for. That is how I sustain them. That's their leader. I believe they're special witnesses of Christ, but it doesn't mean that every word that comes out of their mouth is from Christ. They're human. If that was true, they'd be translated, but they're not. They're still here learning and growing themselves. And so I offer them that human space to learn and grow. And I don't think that me getting tattoos is like against leadership because what I do believe is that President Hinckley testified of Christ and taught people around the world that Mormons are normal. And oh my gosh, absolutely loved following that, you know, like, but just because I still don't subscribe to some of the other things because I just don't agree with them doesn't mean that I don't follow my leaders. Yeah, I, I totally agree that the calling is a special witness of Christ. So when they are testifying of Christ, I'm like, yeah, locked in. The other stuff is like, what is my personal authority? Tell me about this other stuff. And sometimes it's aligned and sometimes it's like, you know, that's just not for me. (laughs) And and I feel fine about it. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, someone was asking, how did you, let's, let me see, how did you gain a belief in Jesus, especially since your past was anti-Christian? Um, I started reading the Book of Mormon. Um, truth be told, I know that God was getting my attention and I didn't understand what the spirit was. I didn't understand. It was kind of scary at first, but I feel like what started to happen was I asked questions out of fascination 
And then I felt things that I now understand are God and like, and something else besides just me, like talking to me, but I didn't know that I didn't have a relationship with divinity before. And so now that I have a relationship with divinity, I understand that it comes in different ways, but back then I didn't get it. So what started it is I had dreams that I read the book of Mormon. And then I had a dream once where, and this is, I knew nothing about Christ. I knew that he was a guy in history. I had gone to church a couple of times, but that's it. I knew he died on a cross, but I remember being in a, in a, restaurant in this dream with my friends. And I had this book of Mormon in my purse that I hadn't read. And I, and I went to the bathroom and in this dream, my friends took it out and they started tearing the pages and just laughing. And I remember I came out and I was so sad because this was a gift from someone for me, right? Cause they gave it to me as a present. And I, even though I hadn't read it yet, I remember in the dream gathering all the pages and saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. And afterwards I was like, that is such weird vocabulary. Why would I say that? So I looked it up. And that was the first time I heard that, like, or knew that, oh, that's what Christ said. Like, I, I didn't know that. And so to have that in a dream, like, I feel like God was like, just read this book. Just try it out. See if it's your jam or not. And so I started reading the Book of Mormon. And then I was really confused that other Christians don't read it because I was like, people believe in Jesus already. Why would they not believe another book of his coming to another continent? And my friend was like, well, that's People don't believe that. And I'm like, that seems weird that if you're going to be a Christian, you're not going to be like a legitimate one and believe in all of Christ's visits. That seems weird to me. So I started to just think about it from like an external perspective. Yeah. And then I just started to think like, and honestly, there came a point where I was like, can I join this church believing that we have modern day prophets, believing that like Joseph Smith saw two beings, that was really important to me, but like not really believe in Jesus. And my friend was like, no, that, that's a big one for us. And so I kind of just started like praying and being like, is this real? Like, is this for real? Because I could believe in a God, but I don't know if I believe that someone would come to die for me. That seems intense for me, you know, and, and it just through prayer and through, and then finally one day I heard a Jewish woman, she converted from Judaism say, I feel like one day I just recognized that the stories I had heard were true. And in an instant, it was really weird. I had all these Christmas songs come to my mind and all these memories of me singing them my whole life. And I just thought, I've been singing about this my whole life. And what if it's real? What if I actually believe it? And then from then on, Jesus was my homie. Love it. So any recommendations? Here's a question. Any recommendations for starting to build a relationship with Christ? Look at all the areas that you feel maybe guilty about something or where you're not connected to Christ and see, like, I just feel like pulling those away from Christ. There's so many people like, I feel guilt when I do this, or I feel guilt. And I'm like, just separate those two if you can. Try to look at them as different. So developing a relationship with Christ, try to start clean. It's a clean slate. Like it's a clean, like I, I have my dogs. Like I'm obsessed with my dogs. I love them. Like these little, she like threw up today and I still love her to bits. I cleaned up her throw up. I got a shampoo or out where like nothing stops me from loving this little being, even though she threw up today. Like that. I'm not trying to compare that to Christ, but I feel like that clean slate, like every day when I see them, they just love me. Even though I can get frustrated, like they just love me. And so I think about that clean slate often with Christ. So if you're trying to build that relationship with Christ, let go of everything you've ever been taught about him and just start fresh. Ask, ask Christ, are you real? Do you know me? Do you understand me? Did you really come to do these things? Start fresh. Even if you feel like I've, I've grown up in this, I already know who Christ is. Start over. Why not? Love it. What I'm curious, what is the place of like the Bible and the Book of Mormon in in your informing your relationship of who Christ is? Um, 
That's such a great question. I've actually, it's, I've always been the person that read my scriptures every single day, um, except for truth be told, except for the last year. And part of that is because I wanted a different relationship with God that wasn't just found in these words. And so what I found, so I started reading these like other books where Christ was the center of this book, like Sumunk Kid, the book of longings, my favorite book. It's just, it's this amazing book where it's just this like historical fiction, right? Where it takes like from the perspective of Christ's wife, which we don't even know if that's real. That's why it's historical fiction. So just little things like that of like, okay, God, I want to connect you in a different way. So what I then realized is then I would go back to the scriptures and be like, okay, how do I feel about this? Again, clean slate. I still do it. I still do it. I've been a member of this church for 13 years and I still do clean slate with myself. And I just go, okay, I'm reading this. How do I really feel about this? Is this real? And what I started to notice was this beautiful ebb and flow in the Book of Mormon. That's kind of where my heart is. Like, I'll read the Bible, but the Book of Mormon is kind of where my soul is. Because there are certain prophets that, like, I resonate with, like, oh, my gosh, can you sing the song of redeeming love? Like, that is my jam. Like, it's so emotional. It's so. And then there's other scriptures where it's like, God chastens those he loves. You know, it's a little bit more cut and dry. Um, And what I noticed by reading other things and then coming back to the scriptures and asking what I feel about it, I realized that the scriptures are written based on the writer's relationship with God. And so how I would have written about God six years ago would have been more that cut and dry. I've got to earn it. I've got to kind of, and then the way that I feel about God now is more like, gosh, I'm singing this song. Like I want to see you in my countenance. Like it's a different vibe. And so I realized like, Oh, so that's how I read the scriptures. I recognize that the writer is writing from the perspective of their relationship with God. And it might be more strict. It might be more loving. It might be more fluid. It might be more intense. And that's a beautiful thing because they're all different. And so I don't read the scriptures now looking for like, okay, God, I want you to talk to me. And it's just, I mean, I still do, but it's a little bit more like, hey, God, can you teach me through this person's experience with you? What is this message for me that this person experienced or wrote something down in the way that they did? Um, Because for me, the Bible, I just look at that and I I see all the areas that there's these books that we don't have yet, right? We know that there's more to the books. We know that there was like thousands of scrolls submitted to be in the Old and New Testament and only some of them got in. And so when I read those things, I look at them and I just go, oh, I'm so excited for what's to come. That's really how I look at them. I'm aching for the female perspective. I have zero doubt. I mean, we have the Mary Magdalene scrolls that our church hasn't necessarily recognized as scripture, probably because we need to get a hold of them to translate them, to have somebody approve that, all that jazz. But I still feel like, so yeah, I think I look at the scriptures now as like, what can this person's perspective teach me? Because I trust that they wrote while feeling inspired, but it's based on their relationship with God. That's really insightful. Really insightful. How, how do you, I'm trying to think of how to frame this. When people say, how could you join a church that is sexist? <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> um, I was aware of the history of the church when I joined. And so I think it's, for me, I saw the progress. And I also, because I'm a different person now, I'm 13 years older I still see where we can improve. And so when it came to why I joined a church that was sexist, in my mind, I truly had been treated better by members of this church, by the men in this church, than I had been treated by any external other person. Um, Mm. Because 
according to these people, I had value. I was a goddess. I was going to be a queen one day. You know what I'm saying? Like I am going to contribute and raise children, which in this church is kind of viewed as like the be all end all. Right. And I feel differently about it now. But at the time when I was 20 years old, I was like, I've never been so respected. I've never been looked and revered and, and cherished before. Mm. And something that was so beautiful that I kind of felt like for me, because I'm a huge feminist was, am, will be. But at the time I felt like the greatest act of feminism that I could do was accept that God has something for me as a woman. That's different than maybe what the world says it is. And it's different than maybe now I still believe that, but it's different. It wasn't just like, Oh, I'm going to be a wife and a mother. And that's the greatest. No, it was just like, there's so much more to me because as a person that was a convert, I got to know me as a woman in this way. And then joining the church and seeing like, Oh, I can love motherhood. I can. Okay. There's more to this. And I'm going to be a goddess one day. I'm going to have a world one day. Like, huh? I think I'm going to accept that God has a role for me as a woman. And I only know this much of it right now. And it's going to grow as I grow. Mm. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've kept you. Oh my gosh. It's, We've been talking 50 minutes and it's just it's flown crazy. by. Oh, flies by. I could just ask you questions all <laughs> and I love it. Like you say you speak my language. And like people often will say, Oh, the Mormon hippie and Dr. Julie Hanks said blah blah blah. <laughs> you know, I know. So like tag yeah, we are kindred spirits for sure. <laughs> that, and that's just awesome that you served in Sandy, Utah and visited me and that's probably why you look familiar. And <laughs> it's okay. It's okay if I don't. And honestly, it's. It, I was only at your house like three or four times a decade ago. So let's calm down. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> but it was a I, long ass I've time ago. I've just been drawn to you ever since I found your account, and I so appreciate your fresh perspective. And as a lifelong member of the church, it's really helpful to hear your perspective as a convert. Because there are a lot of things that I take for granted that you don't take for granted. And there are a lot of things that I'm blind to that you you actually can see. And so thank you for that. That's really helpful. Thank you. That's very kind. Thank you so much. So tell us again what's going on in your world and where people can find you and tell us more about retreats and Yes. Well, you can find me. Yes. You can find me at the Mormon hippie. And then I am going to be running some retreats. I'm going to be doing some in Hawaii. And then hopefully there might be a few in Utah. They're just not planned yet, but these retreats are just about women. They're women's retreats, but they're about women connecting to themselves, loving themselves and more fully being able to live their purpose connected to God. And it's interfaith. Like ideally this person would have to have a, a connection to a higher power in some way, but I just feel so strongly that women especially need to know how to love themselves because it all starts here. I really just believe that in my soul, like it all starts with ourselves. And if we can love ourselves, we can like irradiate that love outward um, to other people. And that makes a big difference. So that's what I'm working on right now. And we're so close to having the dates of the next retreat, but there's going to be probably four or five this year. And I'm really, really excited. So exciting. And then you have a store launching. Did I hear yeah, so I, yeah, I have a store. There's a link in my bio. I make these like, you can sit with me bracelets and they're, mm -hmm crystals and they're different. And I, to me, this, you can sit with me that I say, it's a hashtag that I use all the time. I just have this vision one day of, cause our Mormon community, some of the culture is so cool. It's so good that we have this. And there are people that have no idea. And I just keep hearing from people that left, like that's one of the hardest things that they don't have the community anymore. 
Like that community of our culture can be really beautiful. And I just see the Mormon hippie space on the, on, on the Instagram. I'm like 90 on the internet being a space where so many people can gather. Like it doesn't matter if you're Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist, Catholic, atheist, ex Mormon, like come together and know that this is a community that's going to show up for you. That's not going to try to change you, but it's going to want to help you be the best version of you. Mm -hmm. And so when I you can sit with me. I mean that. I'm not, I want you to sit with me because I want you to know that you're going to be loved and accepted and heard and seen just as you are. And that to me is like how I view discipleship. And so I make these bracelets. I literally craft them, make them and sell them because I love them so much, but I see it being something that anyone could wear, whether you're atheist or a huge Christian or Jewish or an ex-Mormon. Love it. Love it. So go over, if you're not following the Mormon Hippie, go follow right now. Click her link in bio, check out retreats and her shop and all the good, all the good stuff. And then I chose this topic and I chose you um, because I thought you'd be awesome for this topic. And Thank this you. is the theme of my membership group for next month. So for March. And so I want to invite anybody who wants to kind of dig in to personal authority with me we're talking about it all through March and it's going to be great. I do group coaching and we do, there's handouts and journal prompts and a Facebook group. So come join me. What was that? Yes. Join her. All of you that are asking, how do I do this? Like, seriously, what a beautiful and a cool community in Facebook groups. Like yeah. that, is, that sounds it's like really amazing. Fun. And it's so much cheaper than therapy. It's not a replacement for therapy, but you know, it's, it, we have a lot of fun and people have a lot of breakthroughs. So join there. You can just go to link in bio for that. And yes, everybody's saying, save this, save this. We will save this. It will be on my profile in my Instagram lives. You can you listen to this. It'll also be a podcast episode of Ask Dr. Julie Hanks, even though it's really been Ask the Mormon Hippie. <laughs> Thanks. Well, let me know and I'll share it because I love it. That's amazing. I'll, I'll happily share that podcast episode. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you again, Sasha Piton. Did I say that? Thank you. That was beautiful. And uh, I will see you online and maybe one day in person. Maybe I'll have your retreats. It sounds amazing. Amen. Amen. Come. All right. Have a great rest of your night. Thanks, Sasha. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Ask Dr. Julie Hanks, a podcast helping real women seek solutions to life's biggest challenges. If you'd like to learn more, you can connect with me on social media at Dr. Julie Hanks and at drjuliehanks.com, where you'll find information about virtual groups, coaching, and online courses. For therapy services in Utah, visit wasatchfamilytherapy.com. thought, hey, I want to talk to Dr. Julie Hanks about this question. Well, now's your chance. I want to have you on my podcast. So email hello at drjuliehanks.com with your question and the reason why you want to be on the podcast. And we may just choose you for a free coaching session.